Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. I am confident in saying, friends, this is the first one I've ever started recording at 5.13 a.m. Thanks to my dear friend, Jetlag. Was up at about 2 a.m. this morning. I think I actually woke up around 1, tried to go back to bed, stayed in bed till about 2, and yeah, here we are. So, long trip, almost done. 18 days in Indy, 12 in Le Mans, and now I have four coming here in Wisconsin, fly out in a couple hours to cover IndyCar at one of my favorite, probably my favorite event of the year. Indy 500, a a special unicorn, so don't really compare anything else to it, but if we're talking non-Indy 500 rounds, Road America. Uh, And I think I say this every year, and it's okay, just the bestest, so can't wait also can't wait to get it done get home gonna work through the middle of next week and then take about 10 days to two weeks off so have my wife's birthday in there as well gonna go someplace local just get away and relax and recharge and celebrate her so yeah great times ahead thanks to all of y'all for the questions you sent in Also, thank you for there not being a crazy amount, so hopefully this won't be the world's longest episode of our podcast. Say a big thanks to Jerry Suddeth for putting our questions together, as always, and then our pals at Cooper Tires, who power the USF Championships, the first three steps of the junior open-wheel ladder here in America. Discount Tire, also heavily involved in the USF Championships this year for the very first time. The Justice Brothers, makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants par excellence. See, I brought back some French. And finally, our friends at torontomotorsports.com. Absolutely awesome motor racing memorabilia. Hats, t-shirts, models, books, stickers, you name it. torontomotorsports.com. So let's get going. And we're going to get going by saying congratulations to John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjow. And his bride, Trinity, just got married, founder of the Prude Listener Group, and those two crazy kids, so happy for them. Happy to see their uh, their betrothed life officially start here. So huge, huge congratulations to John and Trinity. And then also we have a birthday coming up this weekend for one of the the finest members of the IndyCar community, period. We're also so fortunate to have her as a member of the Prude. And just if there's someone who brings more love to IndyCar and brings in more fans and welcomes them and educates them about the series, and Cassie Johnston, well, I don't know who that person is. So she has a birthday this weekend. She and her awesome partner, Craig, going to be there. Um, can't wait to see them. So, yeah. A lot of friends going to be there this weekend. Vast majority of them also members of the Prude Listener Group. And if you want to join in, reach a family that's now in the hundreds of folks who love motor racing, are kind people, funny people, not prone to toxicity that you often come across on social media. You might uh, send an email and they will welcome you in. It's prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y. R-O-C-K-S, Rocks at gmail.com. Someone there will welcome you in within a couple of days. I think they mostly communicate on Discord. Also, maybe an older school Twitter. 
uh, communication platform that they use, but just a group of folks who love racing, talk about everything, and also do a lot of meetups at the track. So just looking for a wider range of friends and family in motor racing. Would thoroughly recommend joining in the Day fun. So we're going to open things here with Andrew Miller, Steve Bonick, who also looking forward to seeing this weekend, ask similar things. Say, I know you'd love these types of questions. How many drivers will better Dario Franchitti's fastest lap record at Road America? That being a 1 minute 39.8 at the newly repaved circuit come qualifying on Saturday. Also mentions weather looks very favorable at the moment too. Spoke with our guy, Felix Rosenquist. Respect the V. Felix Rosenquist in a podcast that will hopefully be up right before or after this goes up. And he mentioned from their test last week, they were like four to five seconds faster. That's on Firestone's primary tires. So we don't even know what the faster alternates can do. If you subtract four to five seconds from Alexander Rossi's pole time last year, which I believe, let's see, it was a one minute 44.8. So right on five seconds slower than Dario's cart era monster lap i think it should be in jeopardy for sure so yeah granted dario didn't do this when the track was 100 percent freshly paved so yeah a little bit of a different era but nonetheless might have a new track record uh and hey it's always a fun thing i'll give dario lots of crap about it provided it happens brett keys you say mp as a Connor Daly fan, disappointed about what went down, but I know it's a business. Said in the press release, Ed Carpenter spoke about a lack of results despite the technical changes and investments in the offseason. Says, any idea what those were? So you remember you saying ECR basically made no changes from last year. That is very true on the personnel side. There's a change or two maybe like performance engineer but in terms of engineering structure hierarchy who's in charge of race engineering each car and so on really no major changes that i can think of that's no disrespect to any of the new folks that came on i'm just saying if we're talking about we want to get better and we've done some significant things change wise to do that well bringing on a new technical director, bringing on a new head of R&D, a new race engineer or two. These are the head coach or assistant coach positions that will either change a team from being, you know, middle of the rankings or lower to potentially moving them higher up. They did not make any of those changes. Not saying that they had to, They have many extremely talented folks on the engineering and technical side there. But if you compare what ECR did or didn't do in this case to some of their rivals, you go, "Uh uh-huh, they're standing pat with what they have. Ed talking about changes and investments, I would have to assume on the changes side, he might be talking more on methodologies. Maybe we're going to try some different approaches to things. Again, that's an assumption. And as for investments, that is a standard part for every team. 
within their operating budgets, they will set aside whatever amount, right? Changes, it's different with every team where they say, okay, we want to try some new things with dampers. We want to try some new things with suspension geometry. We want to try some new things with run through a whole variety of chassis setup or development options. We're going to commit a budget to that. And especially during the off season, it's not only during the off season, but that's where a lot of the work goes on. We're going to try these things. We're going to explore. We're going to go to a wind tunnel. We're going to go to a seven post shaker rig. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're hoping to find some gains. Uh, half a tenth of a second with this development would be amazing. And a fraction of a tenth over here would be amazing. And we found a fraction of a tenth over there. You combine those things and you hope you found a tenth or two or who knows how much. Bearing in mind, and this is the big thing to keep in mind here, Brett, Team Penske is doing the same thing. Chip Ganassi Racing, Dreddy Autosport, Air McLaren, and so on. They're all spending a decent amount of money. Those teams I just mentioned, and Dreddy Autosport for sure, uh, they're spending some big dollars. One's dollar sizes that certainly surpass what an Ed Carpenter Racing can spend with a larger army of engineers, R&D types, who are out there learning, exploring, trying to find time, find speed. So if you keep in mind that every team does this, it's the identical march across all teams. Some of those teams, half of them, have tons of dollars, tons of people, tons of resources. It's fair to expect those bigger teams are going to find more in their explorations. So there's no doubt Ned Carpenter Racing will put aside their money. Good folks, led by Matt Barnes there on the engineering side, will go and try and find developments, make their cars faster and so on. But it is a bit of an arms race. Everyone else is doing it. What did you find? What did they find? Where does that rank you? When you get to St. Pete, you get to Texas, you get to Long Beach and so on. You find out. When you have the same drivers from year to year and the same engineers, makes it even easier, Brett, to benchmark how you did, or in this case, how you didn't. And so it's not that Ed Carpenter Racing hasn't spent the money, hasn't tried, hasn't done their best. They just simply have not done as good of a job as their rivals. There's one other aspect here, too, to the technical changes and investments thing before we move on. It's also entirely possible to make mistakes during this R&D quest for speed that goes on throughout the year, but again, most heavily during the off-season. Learned, what was it, a couple years ago when Tony Kanon and Matthias Laced were full-time at AJ Foyt Racing, for example. They had some number problems. They had some data correlation problems where things they were doing, they spent a ton of money on seven post shaker rig, really trying to up their mechanical grip, mechanical suspension performance gain, not aerodynamic gain, squashing the car to the track, but just truly trying to figure out the mechanical grip, mechanical suspension improvement game. And they found out afterwards that, 
some numbers were wrong and it made all that they learned completely irrelevant. They couldn't understand why what was showing to be great gains on the shaker rig was not manifesting, was not correlating to what it should be on track, applying what they learned there in a testing environment to the racetrack. Those things did not jive and found out, Oh, we, we got some numbers wrong and this is effectively useless information that we've come up with that we thought was going to give us great gains. So in a perfect world, everybody learns stuff. And then it's really just a question of who learned the most and did the best. And we find out because a stopwatch tells us also entirely possible for teams to head down the wrong development path. Say, Hey, we got an idea. We want to go try this. And you go way down that path and you find out, Oh, that didn't work. Well, huh, uh, where do you go next? Cause you just spent a ton of money and a ton of time and you have finite amounts of money to spend and finite amounts of time. Oh boy, we're going to get kicked in the nether regions. Once we hit the track, cause this ended up being wrong. So the number of things that can happen here, Brett, uh, we know this for sure. On average, Ed Carpenter racing has not been competitive this year. They've had flashes, of course, Renus qualifying Indy 500 going <clears throat> somewhat well in the race too, right? <clears throat> had that incident where he, uh, half spun and hit below and on pit lane and things went downhill from there, but, uh, they've had some flashes here or there. But by and large, this is not a team expected to show up and show out at any round. And it's a surprise when they do. And so it's not for lack of trying, not for lack of quality people. They're just in need of doing better, doing more, and having effectively stood pat with who they have and, and what they do. If the budget's there it might be time to consider recruiting more people because that's what their rivals have done. And the majority of their rivals are way farther up the road. Darren Dubois, how you doing? You say, Ryan Hunter rate ECR. Could this extend into next season, at least through maybe the Indy 500? Or do you see this as setting the table for a free agent in the offseason? 100% based, Darren, on budget. If... Bitnile is staying through next year and, and who knows how long. And this number 20 Chevy is funded. I think that presents Ed Carpenter Racing with a great, a great option to consider. We know how good Hunter Ray is. We have seen Renus VK can be a monster. Would Renus VK benefit from having a veteran like Ryan Hunter Ray, he's, who he's never had, right? I realize he has Ed Carpenter as a veteran teammate, a veteran voice and mentor, but Hunter Ray is in a different level because he's proven that, because he's a champion and an Indy 500 winner and won 18 IndyCar races over his career and drove for one of the top three teams for a dozen years. The experience he has, the 
people he's had the experience with. It's just on a different level than what Ed can offer Renus wherever they go. On the ovals, Ed's still probably going to be the sharpest voice. That's not so much what I'm worried about. I'm talking about full driver development, every aspect of his game. This, to me, based on his results and credentials, something that would be perfectly suited for Hunter Ray. Is that something Ryan would want to do? I don't know. If he was offered a full-time seat, I don't know. I know that he will do extremely well for the team, that they will learn a lot, find a lot of the areas where they are deficient, and improve as a result of him being there. I don't expect those improvements to show up in 2023. The vast majority of what Hunter Ray is going to help them with will be setting them on a better path for 2024. But looking big picture, at least somewhat short-term, Darren, if the budget is there, if Ed does not need to find a paying driver to take over the 20 car next year, and he can hire Hunter Ray, I think beyond whatever Ryan will bring on track in terms of results, I think it would be outweighed by what he can do for Renus VK, assuming Carpenter looks at Renus as someone that they want to hold on to after his contract expires, I think, at the end of 24. But yeah, um, Hunter Ray can improve the entire organization, especially his young teammate who I would say really needs someone like a Hunter Ray to help him see things he hasn't seen, think about things he hasn't thought about, and make him um, just level up in a number of ways. All comes down to budget, and I do think, if offered, I think Ryan would take it. Uh, I know, speaking with Ryan, one reporter mentioned in their story that he was out there actively searching for a seat, and that was completely false. Uh, And I know that... (laughs) I knew that before this opportunity came with Ed. Um, Hunter Ray is looking for opportunities more in IMSA, other things, but the timing of this has worked out, and it's just a question of both budget for next year and also whether at, he's 42, he'll be 43 in December, sons are getting bigger and bigger, doing more in their young lives too. Does he want to hop back in the saddle and do another 17 or 18 race season uh, at 43 years old? So interesting times ahead. I'd love to have him back. And uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll get a feel for this here in the coming weeks for sure. Uh, Let's see. Brian Cohn, Marshall. Great video work at Le Mans. Well, that's kind of you. So daily leaving... Ed Carpenter Racing, is it a safe assumption that the driver change you mentioned in the lead-up to the 500 was, in fact, Daly? Uh, It was not Connor Daly. Uh, You say, also a safe assumption that this is why Jerry Hildebrand was on site. It was not. It was for a a different team, different driver. Uh, You also ask, is Connor Daly's IndyCar career finished? You say, if so, that'd make me sad. Few others love the series and sport as much as him. Mentioned last week that barring a sponsor stepping in, a sponsor, either whether it's BitNile 
or a new sponsor. I cannot see a scenario where a team hires Connor without a budget as a full-time driver. And I know I'm repeating a little bit of what I said last week. It's nothing to do with his talent or ability. Like this guy is outrageously good. But when making decisions like this, name the team, Michael Andretti, Chip Ganassi, Errol McLaren, Ray Holliday, and Lanigan, whomever will have or could have at least one vacancy to fill next year in a seat where the driver will be paid. None of them are looking to, hey, was this guy really good five years ago? They're looking at what are my most recent recollections of this driver? And with Connor, unfortunately, his full-time turn with Ed Carpenter Racing has not been awesome. Many of the non-awesome results not been his fault. I mean, there's... (laughs) A lot of mistakes made, a lot of issues, a lot of pit stops gone awry, a lot of this, that, and the other. Some of those things are also his fault too. So again, there's no single-sided blame here. But ask a Michael Andretti, Zach Brown, Chip Ganassi, Bobby Rahal, you name it, what they're looking for, they're not looking for the driver who needs 27 layers of explanation as to why they're actually really amazing and awesome and all kinds of ways to excuse or forget the poor results that have been put on record. Again, there's the, are you a crazy new young talent who's had some difficulties with a smaller team? But we think that if we were to take you out of that smaller team early in your career, you could flourish and become a race winner and potential champion for us. There's that. Callum Eilock comes to mind as someone who might be viewed in that kind of scenario, right? Connor's been around in IndyCar for 10 years. Realize not all them full-time. Realize some of them not at all. But this journey for him started at indianapolis in 2013 he's been around for a really long time he's had some very good results when everything has gone his way so again there's no question whatsoever brian connor daly has phenomenal talent the folks making decisions though aren't the types to go let me just ignore what i have seen in recent years, latch on to something I saw four years ago, three years ago, seven years ago, and I'm going to hire you based upon that. It's very much of a, what have you done for me lately? And with that in mind, that is why Connor's very unfortunate season to date, Connor's really struggle filled and unhappy 2022 season those are the things that are going to come to mind for the folks with seats to offer that's why i think in terms of full-time being offered something full-time damn near impossible 
without a sponsor to bring, which is the other thing we have to acknowledge. Every team knows that whether it was the Air Force previously uh, or more recently um, with the sponsors that he's brought. I've also heard Bit Nile was something I just heard yesterday from someone. Bit Nile might have been a company that Ed Carpenter Racing, through one of their people, were introduced to compared to it being something 100% found by Connor on his own. Is that true or false? I don't know. These aren't the things that folks tend to tell you easily or readily, but Connor's reputation, truly unfortunately, has just been completely eroded, viewed as a paying driver. Whether he did or did not bring Bitnile to the team is immaterial. That's the, the impression that if Connor is going to drive for you, he's going to bring money. I realize that wasn't the case at Carlin. I realize that wasn't the case at some others. I get all that. Just saying, today, last impression used to base on what to do with him. The folks with seats to offer to pay a driver with, they are probably not going to be able to look beyond those last 18 months worth of results. For the others who might have a seat available for purchase, that is exactly what they would look at Connor and say that he needs to do. So just wish we could go back in time um, because this kid should be uh, a race winner many times over and having an amazing IndyCar career because he showed us, in particular in Junior Open Wheel, that that's what he was capable of doing and there have been select times even with dale Coyne, where you go wow <laughs> that was really impressive man knowing the limited resources of the team and stepping in here and stepping in there and doing just awesome jobs <sighs> there's just a bitterness to this it's just a bitter taste and just to close There's a reason you haven't heard from Connor about this. It's the same reason you didn't hear from Bourdais after things went sideways with Dale Coyne or Zach Veach when he got stood down at Andretti, and it's because there's still a sizable amount of money owed to them, and part of the deal is you keep quiet, you toe the line, don't say anything, and we'll pay you the rest of your salary you start acting out, talking out, and whatever else, and you ain't getting nothing. And for most drivers, they cannot afford to put their free will and need to speak up and set the record straight over receiving a significant six- or seven-figure income. And in some cases, it could be the last big income like that that they ever earn and so we've heard what the team had to say in the press release connor's quote was in there as well is this everything that press release made it out to be of course not never that way there's always more to the story i don't know when we'll get to hear it probably january 1st 2024 but I'm hoping before too long, Connor will get to say his piece 
and offer the other side of things that uh, drivers in his situation simply cannot afford to say until they have cleared um, whatever agreed upon timeline uh, in this divorce. Uh, let's see. Johan Josefson, how are you? And hopefully I didn't murder your name there, Johan. You say, am I wrong to think Colton's driving was way better when he was pissed off at his dad throughout the races? You say, happy for Kyle Kirkwood, but sad I'm not seeing the old Colton so far this season. <sighs> yeah, I love the pissed at his dad angle. That one's really fun. Johan, I wish I had the answer. He wishes he had the answer. Remember when... Conor McGregor was fresh-ish into the UFC and just all swagger, all attitude, and just he didn't want to win fights. He didn't want to win matches. He wanted to just destroy the person, embarrass them, beat them down. It's like, right, this wasn't about winning a sporting match of fisticuffs and uh wrestling techniques and brazilian jiu-jitsu playing like truly the guy just wanted to blow up the person in front of him and that in a less showy less boisterous way very much colton's introduction in car and it seemingly came easy least within his teammates right obviously Juan races young youngest indycar winner ever and so on but it just seemed to come easy like all right uh rossi hunter ray whomever else uh <laughs> fall behind because you ain't never going to be in front and i do wonder like i conor mcgregor became champion super famous super popular had that big crazy crossover boxing match with floyd mayweather earned a trillion zillion dollars started businesses and earned more money like so then tried to come back to the ring and maintain that thing of who he was and just wasn't there and lost and then lost again i think he maybe won one but like the invincible boy this just looks easy fueled by rage and the need to be the best and uh i must destroy you kind of thing uh, all the words were there and the mannerisms were there but it's the that spirit just wasn't behind it the same way and so the questions with mcgregor is like you were hungry before you didn't have anything before did becoming a trezillionaire, did that change things? It has to a little bit, right? I'm not saying it has to permanently change things, but when you go from fighting, having nothing, to seemingly having everything, where does that motivation come from? It's an age-old thing in sports uh, and, I guess, other facets of life. But if your fuel was to come up in life and make something out of yourself and have something for yourself that you never had before. What happens when you get it all and get an abundance of it? Is that fire to go 
blow up everything in front of you the same for mcgregor it certainly appeared to diminish a bit it then showed in his fights and showed in the results is there something here with colton i don't know i don't know but i do have to wonder like that animalistic i must break you i must destroy you thing i don't know if i see it in the same way that i once did so is that just my false perception is that me looking at parallels from other sports where athletes have gone from nothing to big amounts of something and they've lost their edge a little bit and had to find it and spend a little bit of time in the wilderness having to come up with new forms of motivation i do wonder if that's where colton's at ask him about you know everything good everything okay anything change and you know says no and can't dismiss his own account of who he is and what's going on and where he's at but to your point here johan like the super pissed guy maybe someone just needs to kick him in the boy parts before he gets in the car each time and really piss him off uh because that guy he's scary um just haven't seen scary colton on a regular basis a little while uh patrick mccarthy say nascar made some headlines at lamar for their pretty odd crossover that reminded me when is jerry hildebrand going to wheel that indy car up pike's peak great question i need to ask him uh i should have when i saw him in may but uh, it fell out of my brain patrick so i don't know i hope it's not totally lost as a possibility but i will try to remember to ask my man uh jamie carr are we getting close to the end of the show we are all right let me uh see where we at time wise yeah we're getting towards the end here uh let's see jamie carr scrolling back up you say i have to ask the obvious question how hard would it be to modify a delara dw12 to a garage 56 entry what team would be the best to do it uh that's a great question um it would be very hard keeping in mind that open wheel car uh modifying with fenders and such uh multi-driver scenario um i think it is so far out of the realm of what would be considered sports car ish in today's world that it probably wouldn't happen and yes for those who are old enough to remember we have can-am era single-seater can-am era where they would take former indy cars and often put uh, naturally aspirated v8 in the back and do full body work and fenders over things and these would be basically single driver uh cars but we're talking 35 40 years ago um today with all the crazy emphasis on safety i just can't see how uh such a thing would be allowed jamie so um i mean we could talk about who would be the best yada yada but like i can't see any scenario where that would happen um let's see where do we go 
next uh mitsuki matsura chris Kalewick as well you asked something similar here you said it's here about america that Peretta Autosport made its first appearance of the season last year. Do you think we'll see Beth and her team racing an IndyCar this year? Are things already moving towards 2024? Um, when I spoke with Beth about this in May, I think it was a phone call maybe, um, said she was working on things, hoped to have something to announce here before too long. I don't know though if i would place my expectations on that being in indycar so she didn't say what but she did suggest that it might be easier to move the team forward in a different series and it's definitely been uh been a struggle to not so much find the the sponsors but all of the resources vehicles and just everything you need to take to the racetrack to then go compete on behalf of those sponsors um yeah uh i do want to learn more but i also know that beth is really good at keeping those cards pretty close and whenever she's ready to talk she will uh but she's definitely not known for uh laying out the whole playbook um just before she's laid it out formally uh with what her plans happen to be uh let's see andy bauer mp hope you aren't too tired from lamar uh, i'm uh i'm getting there andy say second time asking any updates on a new hashtag front nose for indy say the restart idiocy might lessen if drivers didn't feel they only have uh one or two laps to make their move uh see you at road america i assume you're talking about front wings because the noses themselves andy uh i don't think those are any real contributor here um meant to speak with jay fry indycar president either today or tomorrow and this is one of the topics to bring up so i will uh as soon as i have an update you will be reading about it uh very very soon uh zach dean you say how does the Detroit GP rank in bumpy tracks? So this means IndyCar is going to Sebring now, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say the bumpiest by far. And yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, let's see. Andrew Campbell. Marshall, I hope you and your wife are both doing well. Um, say Lewis Hamilton recently mentioned that he would like to test a quote old school IndyCar. Let's say you're organizing the test. Which classic Indy car would you select and at which track would the test occur? Say, so looking forward to the Honda Indy Toronto this year. Hoping to see you. Won't be there, Andrew. But, um, yeah, I do miss Toronto. It's been way too many years since I've been there. Uh, the costs these days to travel from California to Toronto are prohibitive. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, hopefully that will change sometime soon. Uh, we'll probably go back to where we started the show, talking a late 90s, 2000-ish Renard uh, Honda or similar. Um, if we're talking Lewis and his current alignment, it may be a Ilmore Mercedes-powered uh, cart IndyCar. But yeah, late 90s, 2000-ish, 1,000-plus horsepower and we're going exactly to where we're going this weekend, Road America. 
on a natural terrain road course that is fast and flowing and just gives you all the sensations of what it's about. Uh, mid Ohio could be fun, but again, little slower switchbacks, you know, I don't know how much he'd feel like the car was really being allowed to breathe there. So yeah, I'd say road America and yeah, maybe even one of Dario's pole car. That would be phenomenal. Ed Joris say, if Polo ends up at McLaren in 2023, is he the de facto team leader? hundred <laughs> percent. He'd be the only champion the team has, right? Unless Pato gets back on track this year. Rossi finds some remarkable things in his debut season. But yeah, um, what I'd look forward to is qualifying battles between Pato and Polo. I think Pato wins the majority of those. Not all, but I mean. Alex is everything that team needs. He is so fast, so consistent, and so smart. Rossi, super smart, super fast, not necessarily super consistent. Pato, possibly the fastest driver in IndyCar. Uh, Smart at times. He's a very smart kid, don't get me wrong. I'm talking about on track. Um doesn't make the best decisions at all times, um, is not the most consistent. Um, I think Rossi's a little bit too far into his career to take any major things from Polo to up his game. But I do think, as I mentioned about Ross, I'm sorry, Hunter Ray, potentially bettering and influencing VK, I think Polo, even though, I don't know, he might even be the same age or younger or whatever than Pato, I'm not sure. But if Pato wants to, I think Pato could learn a crazy amount from Polo and level himself up. And if that were to happen, like, that'd be really scary. Really, really scary. Randy Maynard, you say, never done a fantasy league anything before. So in the Prude Fantasy IndyCar League, I make my picks for every race. I call them my... Chicken bones and pebble guesses. Uh, been an IndyCar fan for maybe 55 years. And I've never seen a closer field with so much talent. Says when I make my picks and guesses, it's ridiculous that there's no clear winner to pick, let alone 10 clear chances at a winner. Your thoughts as to why? Well, had these cars for a really long time now, Randy. 11 years, is it? Whatever it is exactly. Same engines, same chassis, tires, similar ish these teams know these cars inside and out the drivers by and large are pretty amazing from first to last uh this is just the perfect formula for there being almost nothing to choose from entry to entry so that's why (laughs) it's really as simple as that uh throw a new car new engine into the mix next season and it becomes easier to pick uh, right now, yeah, uh, not so much the case, my friend. Um, Ryan Terpstra, do you think more IndyCar drivers will be at Le Mans 2024? Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to be at Le Mans 2024? It's a great question. Uh, very possibly, especially if there's more American IMSA GTP factory efforts going there that involve IndyCar drivers. So, yeah. 
Uh, Kurt Pose, you say, where does Toby Sowery fit into the silly season market? Seemingly doesn't have the funding for a full-time Indian XT ride. So I think he can, don't think he can bring a budget to a team. We've seen even lights champions struggle to find a seat. I don't know. Uh, I know the Ray Hall team seemed to like him and be impressed by him. I know Linus, who's doing like his second or third IndyCar test, was uh, decently faster than Toby, who's doing his first, so not a big surprise there. But, yeah, um, another thing, and I need to write about this. I keep forgetting about it. Uh, we could potentially have a massive group of Indy NXT drivers coming out of the series with pretty darn decent budgets looking for homes next season that would complicate things for the toby Sowries of the world when a daniel frost has you know he's going to be done with uh, junior open wheel racing at the end of the season uh significant budget no question there um he's going to find a home is it dale coin is it dale coin slash hmd is it who knows um there's like four or five drivers coming out of NXT more than I can maybe ever remember where you go, Whoa, you're sitting on whether it's 3 million, six, seven, I don't know, but we have the top tier teams looking for drivers to hire everything else where there's a, could this guy be of interest? Might they take a look at him? Is there a shot to take? Um, I would say, boy, there's going to be a decent number of kids with pretty strong checkbooks to wave around that might make things complicated for the Toby Sowries and Linus Lundqvists of the world. Uh, let me see. Last couple of items here. Gonzo asking about if there have been any recent updates on Alex Zanardi. Um No, uh, have not been any offered by his family. And so whenever we hear next about Alex, it will be when they decide to tell us. Uh, Chris McCary. There's been a lot of talk over the last few seasons about the possibility of a third manufacturer entering IndyCar. Seems to be all but dead now. Is there any chance we'd lose either Chevy or Honda in the next few years? Wouldn't think so. Both have committed to staying with this 2.2 liter formula, with going hybrid, with developing the energy recovery system, uh, working in union doing this together, Chevy and Honda. So it would be very strange for the two to commit, to continue, and invest their own money to manufacture the energy recovery system and then leave. So I think we're okay. Uh, Just looking here at the last couple. Um, Bata426 is asking if the new track surface will degrade the tires more than the previous one at Road America. Uh, it should be the exact opposite with a worn out track surface that has limited ability to dig into the tires and hold them to the track. You get tires that slide that produce a lot of marbles and wear faster when you have a new track surface you have something that grips them like velcro and in theory should make the tires last better than we have seen there ever ever 
Uh, we're going to close here. Andrew Brumfield says, MP, hear folks mentioning hybrid engines coming soon. How will these work? Please tell me I, it won't sound like Formula E. Uh, the pure sound of a granny scooter hustling around Indianapolis on qualifying day doesn't excite my ears. Well, Andrew, I do invite you to read probably the last five years, four years of content uh, I've written about this. Um, these are the same exact engines you hear right now with about a hundred electric horsepower helping to boost them. Um, will sound the exact same. So no changes in sound. Uh, we're just replacing turbo boost as the push to pass, getting extra boost to make the cars go faster. We're replacing extra turbo boost with electronic horsepower push to pass. So uh, nothing to do whatsoever with Formula E or being all electric or anything sounding like a, quote, granny scooter. Uh, they will sound the exact same and have hybridized engines that allow the drivers to use energy that is recovered and stored and then deployed on demand. So that's how they'll work. Thanks for all the questions you sent in y'all. It is 6.03 AM. The sun here is kind of sort of mostly up. And so I'm going to stop recording and go and post this heading out the door in a little under four hours to catch my flight to Miliwake and then drive up to just nearby Road America, staying in my favorite little town west of there at Fond du Lac, hoping during the drive to do a Racing Family Twitter Spaces show with my co-host Chris Wheeler. He's also just back from France and dealing with uh, <laughs> jet lag too. Texted me yesterday, he was like, hey, you want to do a show? I said, yeah, sure, let's just not do it too late in the afternoon because I know I'll be asleep. And he's like, yep, 10-4. And uh, when I texted him asking him, if he wanted to do a show, I didn't get a response. So I think he fell asleep. So, And then I went to sleep. So we kind of stink. But there you go. Um, hey, I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires. Discount Tire. The Justice Brothers. TorontoMotorsports.com. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you next week.